This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Welcome to Dental All-Stars. I'm Eric Vickery, Lead Mastery Coach at All-Star Dental Academy and President of Vickery Coaching. I'm excited to interview our guest today, Dr. Barry Polanski. And he graduated from University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine in 1973. And after two years in the military, he directly opened his own fee-for-service practice in 1975. And that was the beginning of insurances, HMOs and things like that. And so after 10 years of trial and error and some burnout, he decided to become a CE junkie and he tried them all. But eventually he committed to the Panky Dawson side of dentistry in 1987 and eventually became a visiting faculty at Panky as well as an advisor. In 2003, after writing many articles for various dental magazines and journals, he wrote his first book, The Art of the Examination, which I have right here. Let's see if you guys can see that, The Art of the Examination. I love this book. Uh, that was followed by The Art of Case Presentation. Uh, then there was a short guide to a long career, and you can actually download that for free on his website, academyofdentalleadership.com. And then finally, two years ago, Wiley published his last book, The Complete Dentist. So he's also started a blog, Tao of Dentistry, which you can see at stoicdentistry.com. And since retiring in 2018, he just completed another book called The Porch. It's fictional, a business spiritual fable about a dentist. So he's got two, two grown sons. One is Joshua, is the owner of Niche Dental Studios, a very successful lab uh, where he is in Jersey, in uh, New Jersey area. And so welcome, Dr. Polanski. Well, thank you, Eric. Nice <laughs> to be here. Well, you and I have been talking about systems and soft skills in dentistry for probably 15 years or more when I first stumbled across you. And I love the stuff that you write. And we know how much those things determine uh, how successful a practice can be. And so I really wanted to get your insight really just to help other dentists out to figure out, hey, what are some things that you know you have to do in a practice that work really well? And I know the answers are in your books. And so I want to pick your brain and see, hey, what can we help our listeners with? Does that sound good? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start with this. Let's start with the first book, just, you know, the art of the examination. Just start with that and then the evolution to your other books. Okay. Well, you know, from the, from, from the seat I'm in right now, it's a lot different seat than it was when when you're writing a book. Uh, I wrote The Art of the Examination in 2003, mm. uh, 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you sit down to write a book, um, you're very focused uh, in the present moment. But now I'm 30,000 feet removed from that in time and space. And I, I, I often think about, you know, the evolution of that whole thing and writing those books and the order in which I wrote them all had a reason. And so the first book, which you held up, The Art of the Examination, um, was that evolved from while I was in, in my earlier years at the Panky Institute, and I realized, and, and even with Pete Dawson, uh, that everybody spoke about the examination. Pete used to talk about this is what separates dentists from one another. And yet, if you were to go and find um, information on what an examination is, you'd find what an examination is, but it never covered all of the softer skills 
Yeah. And so I, I felt that the dentist needed to know that. I also, there was a, a point in that book, which after I wrote it and I would see dentists who read it and they enjoyed it, a lot of them were missing the one major point that I was trying to make in that book. And that was the examination is part of a bigger process. I, I like the word process rather than a system because process is the key to everything. Um, it's the key to all, all success. And so a lot of times uh, dentists will, will focus on the end results of, of their, from the minute the patient walks in the door, they're thinking about how to finish the case. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, uh, I was always became process oriented. You know, I was always dealing with what was in front of me. And it was, I had a good day if I was able to basically get through that process. And so that book did well um, in 2003. And then process instruction, which is the key to everything I've done. Um, and I didn't realize it, but I said, you know what, if I wrote a book about an examination, then we got to talk about case presentation because that's structural as well. And so I wrote the book about case presentation, which is basically at three main points. One is it's also very structured and has a process, number one. Number two, visual storytelling became part of that process. And so understanding that in, in relating to patients, we needed to structure our presentation and make it easy for them to understand. And visual storytelling was the way to do that. So that's what that book was about. And then a few years later, in an effort to pump up my, my um, network, uh, I, I wrote a book that I intended to give out for free on my website called A Short Guide to a Long Career. And um, I wrote that because I was beginning to see a lot of the issues uh, with young dentists getting disenchanted with dentistry. Now, the disenchantment with dentistry goes back since the day dentistry was invented. Let's not get off that. This is nothing new. However, culturally within the dental community, because of things that occurred since, since the 70s, it's now becoming um, very hard for dentists to, to maintain their um, emotional stability throughout a long period. Now, some of us may not agree with that, or, or, and I, and, but it's a hard job. It's a complex job. And to do it for 40 plus years, it can get tough. Mm. So that's what that book was about. The fourth book, which was finished about three years ago, was called The Complete Dentist. Now, over the years, I went back to school and I, I studied um, positive psychology here at Penn, University of Pennsylvania. And um, I became certified in applied positive psychology. And uh, that was a, about an 18-month program. And I saw that positive psychology was a key factor in helping dentists. And so I, that book was more about positive leadership and positive culture. And so those four books 
I was lifting off the layers of from the problem to the solution, which was mastering the self. Mm. And that's what that's where I ended up. And so positive psychology is more of a modern science. But, you know, when I first went down to back in the 80s, uh, L.D. Pankey was the first one who ever spoke to the idea of using philosophy. He, you know, he, when I say philosophy, this is where I lose people. Um, <laughs> because they don't understand. And so, and so well, because, you know, you say Socrates and you say Aristotle. And, you know, L.D. LD himself was, was, used to speak about Aristotle. Even I. But I became, I became really um, curious about some of the language that LD was using in his own notes in terms of, and so it, it was never really answered for me back then. And then somewhere along the line, I, um, I started reading the, the philosophers and I sort of started to see the correlation between the modern positive and cognitive psychologists and the ancient philosophers. And I don't know how familiar you are, familiar you are with this, this current trend of stoicism. And, uh, and it's, the thing about it was, is, is that stoicism is the application of philosophy. And what you know, I was losing dentists when I would go out and speak was they would turn off when I talked about the philosophers. But the bottom line is the, philosopher, the philosophy of the Stoics was a practical philosophy. And how do we take it and we do it every day? You see? And so since I retired, I decided to write another book. <laughs> okay? And it's actually right, right here. I'm, I'm editing it right now. Okay? All right. And it's called um, The Porch. And uh, it's, it's fiction. And the reason why I decided to write a business fable or a spiritual fable is because I was never satisfied with really reaching the, um, the, the dentist through the nonfiction books I was writing. And then I decided to take my own medicine and say, well, why don't we tell them a story? <laughs> That's how I've been presenting my dental cases for years, by telling stories. And so that's what this is. Because in reality, whether you're a dentist or just a, another human being, we're wired for story. We relate to story. Yeah. And so, and so that's the evolution yeah. of, all, of all my books. Yeah, there's been some good books that have been done that way, the On Purpose uh, Leader or whatever, it, yeah, mm -hmm. where, they, where they talk from a story standpoint, but yet they're proving a point of how it can work. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Well, I, I want to give some practical advice to those that are listening that they could feel like, oh, I, now I really know what Dr. Polanski believes and how that can help me in my practice. And so here's a question I get all the time from dentists, okay? And I would love to hear your perspective on this. And they're talking about case acceptance. Where, and I'll probably have a couple questions for you here, but the first one is, this is what I get when I'm coaching them. Where does case acceptance start? <laughs> Throw your curveball there to start with. <laughs> Case acceptance starts before the patient ever even shows up in your office. Yeah. So now you have limited control over that. Mm -hmm. But whatever control you have, you should take take it. And so 
what, what things occur before the patient even comes into your office. So what is the story? There you go. I'll keep coming back. What is the story that's being told about you outside of your office? What is your reputation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hear people say all the time, you got to make a good first impression on the phone. I say, that's not the first impression. It really isn't. It really isn't. So, uh, so now I've, I've got to be in control of as much as I can be of my reputation, whether that's marketing or how I'm asking for referrals, really what my patients are saying about me. And, and since you and I started this, <laughs> you know, when you and I first talked way back in the early 2000s, something called Google reviews has really changed uh, that process. I mean, it could be a, a, a no before they ever even call your office now, if you're not monitoring and managing these things. What do you say to dentists who, who say things like, yeah, I don't worry about that stuff. I don't worry about, you know, what people think of me out there. Well, I would say you, you, you need to worry about it. Um, however, worrying about Google reviews, uh, I, 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 you know, I, don't, I would worry more about what my image is outside of there. Again, Eric, you know, it's, it's again, what do you have control of? So you got to put some time into it. If, if you're just sitting in your office all the time and you're not going out and networking and not going out and, and doing some things or your team isn't right. I mean, you got to be, I mean, did you guys do things like that in your practice? You go out and promote yourself somehow? Um, so around 2000, mm-hmm. I mean, I did everything back then yeah. the way they, they, you know, you try everything and you mm-hmm. find out that, you know, how much of this stuff really works. Yeah. But let's, let's go back. Okay. Go back to the reputation you want to have mm-hmm. uh, and, and for case presentation. What kind of dentist do you want to be? So you got to, you know, if you, if you want to be a cosmetic dentist, for example, you see, then yeah. you're going to have to build up your reputation as being the cosmetic dentist. You see, um, I, I just don't know that many dentists who are willing to go through what it takes to be the number one cosmetic dentist in the state, in the yeah. city, even in their neighborhood. You see, um, I, I chose never to. Now, I heard that story by some of the, the greatest cosmetic dentists out there. You know, go out there and become the Michelangelo of your, yeah. you know, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. Um, I happen to know who they are. I mean, in in uh, in New York and in California, I know who they are. You know who they are. You go on social media, and you know, and they're very good. They're yeah. great cosmetic dentists. But if you're just an average dentist, a good average dentist, uh, you're not going to compete with them for reputation. It's not going to happen. However, what is it about you and your practice that you can control? Yeah. And so what what can you control? You can control how nice you are. Mm-hmm. You can control how you approach people. You can control um, your attitude. Now, there you go. Um, yeah. Talk about attitude. Talk, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are so many dentists out there who are going to work every day, every day, and, and they come in with a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. And you know. If they, if they don't think that that's visible, 
That's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And it absolutely affects case acceptance. Absolutely. 100% agree. So relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen some, and everybody knows this story. I don't have to tell you. It's like the farmer who comes in and accepts the $25,000 case. Bubba. But yeah, (laughs) but right. Everybody knows that story. Don't even tell me anymore. But, 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 but it's like the dentist down the block who's not a very good dentist, but he's such a nice guy. Yeah. It's the same story. It's the same story. Then, so what can you do uh, almost on a daily basis to um, to improve the way you see the world, and the way you see the world shows up in your actions every day. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll transpire. I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, it's funny uh, working with uh, a friend consultant of mine, and, and we were talking, and, and she was saying that she referred a friend to two dentists, one phenomenal dentist and one pretty good dentist. She's like, I, I prefer you go to number one, but you know, they're both, both are acceptable. She chose number two and number one will never have a chance at case acceptance. Why? Because number two, the person on the phone did a phenomenal job. They connected, the relationship came through because that person calling has no idea how good of a dentist you really are. They're just creating a perception in their mind and I call it confidence in your competence. They're starting to create this confidence based upon my interaction. So it could be Google reviews. It could be, I saw you out here. It could be what somebody said about you. And then it's, then it becomes my interaction and my experience, right? You just said two key words. And I know you, people are listening to this and you, you said them quick, but I heard them and I want people to, to understand yeah. them. Confidence and competence. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I don't I'll never tell you that I made this stuff up. Go back to Stephen Covey, 1989. Mm-hmm. Oh, the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. Trust is competence and competence. This is yep. all in my book. This is all in I think I've repeated that in almost every one of my books mm-hmm. because that comes down to trust. Yeah. And I again another buzzword. Don't take that word for granted. Yeah. Well it's that, so important. So and actually what they talk about is credibility. In, in yes. those books that you're talking about, it's like you have to have credibility. Well, if you're starting from scratch, you don't have credibility. You got to build it up. There is no fast track to this. You got to make good deposits. I, I think your team is an extension of that. And and I know you follow suit with this. It's higher for character, train the skills, you know, get them trained, get them trained, get them trained. And how did you get your teams to follow these guidelines? Because the second question I get is, okay, I'm on board, I'm the doctor, I'm on board, but I can't get them to say what I want them to say. So how did you get your teams trained? Okay, I wanna answer one question before I get into that. Sure. Okay, what we're talking about here is no guarantee that if you do these things, that every single patient who comes to you is going to just fall in line and trust you. Yeah. Okay? Because guess what? You don't control the world. There are very untrusting people, and that's part of a problem that Mm -hmm. we have. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there, they don't trust anybody. But then as a dentist, if you you fail to reach them, you tend to blame and beat yourself up for that. Mm -hmm. So so, So what I'm getting at is that you do the same thing all the time. Your percentages of, of, of acceptance will always increase, but you're never going to be 100%. Yeah. Because guess what? And I'm going to refer to the philosophers again. So sit down. Okay? <laughs> Marcus Aurelius. I'm sure you've, you've heard of him. The great yep. Stoic. Emperor. 
I mean, he used to write in his journal every morning. He expected to meet ingrates and tyrants every single day. They're going to come into your practice. They're going to be there. So here's my advice. Continue to do the same exact thing Mm. day in and day out. And don't focus on the results as much as the process. Consistency. Yes. And I mean consistency. And how do I get my, how did I get my staff to do it? I buried the exam. In other words, we lived it. We ate it. We drank it. We didn't, we didn't, I mean, when I wrote that book, I made it my life. Yeah. And so if somebody altered from that, I would, I would, we'd have a conversation. Yeah. Come on to my, come on to my office. Let me tell you. And I wouldn't only just tell them to do it this way. I would tell them why. Yeah. Yeah. Communication. Communication. Yes. So much good stuff here. I want to go back to because uh, you, on, on the, the consistency part of this, and you, you mentioned that dentistry has this trust issue. And I don't think a lot of people understand this because there's not many professions that you do this with, but this, the same person the patient is paying the money to, to find the problem is the same person they got to pay money to, to fix the problem they said they found. And so from the patient's perspective, you have to be able to navigate that without pointing that out. You've got to be able to dance that dance. And so if your team is not trained to support you in all those areas, when you leave the room, they're going to turn to the team member and go, wait, well, do, basically they'll ask some questions. Can I really trust this person? You know, is, is what he, she is saying really a problem? You know, it's not really bothering me. You know, how can I trust what he's saying or she is saying? So I, I totally agree with that. And I think dentistry has this problem. I also think the consistency part, it's like there is no end line. There is no, I, I won the race. It is a constant race. And that's Groundhog Day, right? You're doing the same thing over and over again, right? There's no there there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then lastly, you said something about case acceptance. And I don't know that everybody knows these numbers, but it is important to track your case acceptance, right? If you're, if you're trying to improve in something, you should be tracking it. And the numbers I've used is, uh, th- that I think work well is that you want 80% of the people you, you, you present to to schedule something, okay? They want 80% of them to move forward with something, okay? And then you want 60% of the dollars you present to be scheduled. If you're not hitting those numbers, but you're presenting hundreds of thousands of dollars of dentistry, you're not getting there, you're missing something. Uh, it's not about scheduling. It's about the process, what Dr. Plancy is talking about, is the process in getting them there. If you're so focused on just getting them scheduled, you're going to miss the process. Am I, am I right in saying that? Yeah. And, you know, you raise a question about, um, there was a phrase that used to go back. This goes back 30, 40 years ago when I first went to the Panky Institute. You know, you don't, you, you don't present the case until the patient's ready to hear the case. You've heard that before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. I forgot the great salesman, who, who his line was, uh, "Never sell something to an unsold patient. Hmm. Uh, never sell sell something to an unsold customer." And so I, I used to take that even when I wrote the audit the examination, and I and I said, you know, that's that's great. It's a great piece of advice. Nice little nugget. But how do I know when somebody is sold? In other words, when do I present the whole case? Mm-hmm. So in the book, uh, what I did. Uh, if you remember, was I broke all dentist? I gave parameters. Uh, I broke the dentistry down into phase one and phase two. 
And you know, phase one dentistry just included the bare necessities, uh, fillings, cleanings, scaling. Yeah. But if you're going to present serious dentistry, irreversible kind of dentistry, um, then that was phase two. Yeah. And not, not everybody was ready to hear phase two dentistry. Mm-hmm. Not everybody. Yeah. And, so, and so what became a pet peeve of mine through the years, uh, and by the way, even as I'm retired right now, it, 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 some of these issues continue to come up. You know, something I call the emergency crown. You know, <laughs> Somebody comes in and, um, oh, a crown came in today, and, and, and that's great, and I started a crown. But the bottom line, I, I tell that dentist, well, did you ever consider um, holding up, putting a temporary on, or just fixing the remedial problem and bringing them back in for an examination and mm-hmm. then just, uh, you know, better dentist? And, yeah. you know, but, but all they did was see the crown. Yeah, that, that was that. was that. Oh, got a crown down. You know, you were the one that first planted this seed for me where I, I'd have doctors tell me, yeah, I saw 65 new patients this month. And I'm like, no, you didn't. There's no way you saw 65 new patients. I said, you saw 20 kids and you saw 20 emergencies that never came back. And you saw maybe 20 to 25 comprehensive exam new patients. Please do not count them as a new patient unless you're doing a D0150 comprehensive examination. I mean, you you lay that out pretty clearly. You got me on that in the very beginning. And I was like, absolutely right. If I'm going to count new patients, they have to have a certain value. And they can't have certain value if they don't go through that process. Yes. I think it was there was a, a marketing guy. I won't mention any names, but he, he used to refer to something called the net marginal worth. Mm-hmm. The lifetime value of, mm-hmm. a, of a, you know, these were business principles, you know, the, the lifetime value of a customer, lifetime mm-hmm. value of a patient. Um, uh, I was out walking this afternoon and my, my phone rang and it was a patient who I hadn't seen in two and a half years. And, um, you know, I had good relationships with my patients yeah. and he, he, needed, he needed to be referred to somebody. And so I did. Um, he went to the, uh, to, to the practice that, that I, who, that I sold it to and mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't get along. Okay. And so, um, and so they, they went there and, um, you know, the other thing is, and is that you talk about communication and relationships, you know, I practiced in my last location for about 25 years and three of those staff members were with me during the whole time, wow. 25 years. You kept I sold them. the, I kept all my, yeah, yeah. I sold, I sold the practice and within two years, there were 17 turnovers of the whole staff. Hmm. Something's wrong with that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Something's very wrong. Yeah. I posted on my social media just a while back. I was like the, the surefire way to lose good employees is, is to keep the one bad one. And unfortunately, sometimes the one bad one is either a, a friend of the family, <laughs> a spouse, or the dentist themselves. And so it should tell you something if, if you're not keeping those people. And you got to work on yourself. If anybody thinks they've already arrived and they've already gotten there, you're mistaken, right? Well, people are people. Yeah. And whether you're a staff member or a patient, if, if people are going away from you, whether they're staff or patients, it's not them. Yeah, it's you. It's you. <laughs> what do you say? So here's the next question I get, and and we'll wrap it up here shortly. But wh- what do you say when a dentist says to you, "I don't like to sell dentistry. I don't like that word sell. I don't like that word selling dentistry. Whatever that is." What do you say in response to that? 
Okay. So are you sitting down? <laughs> That's what you tell him. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm asking you, Eric. You sitting I'm sitting down. down. I'm sitting down. Yeah. Okay. Because I know what is expected of me to say that <laughs> you've got to sell dentistry. Okay. And I understand that. I get that. But throughout my whole life, throughout my whole life, um, I hated selling dentistry. Mm -hmm. But I hated selling dentistry because I hated being sold. Mm, the, the word sold. Yeah, taken yes. advantage of. Yep. I hated being manipulated and forced and pressured. The pressure. I hated, I hated when my kids were growing up turning cartoons on on Saturday morning and watching the sugar companies selling cereal mm -hmm. and telling them that's wrong. Yeah. That is wrong. So I don't like the word sell. Yeah. I do like the word persuasion. Okay. Okay. And I don't mind the idea of soft selling. Mm -hmm. However, It's a, touch, it's a slippery slope because when you're teaching dentists how to sell dentistry, okay, they kind of lose, lose perspective. But I mean, toward the end of my career, I mean, I, I wasn't selling anything. People were yeah. coming in and asking me. That's it. Um, you know, what, you know, here's, here's a funny thing. I, I don't coach. I don't coach. Um, but um, through, since I've been retired, I've been getting calls from dentists to coach. And I'm not actively <laughs> out there selling myself doing it. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, reputation, credibility, confidence and competence, those are the things that you're talking about, the soft skills that go with that. And you can you can not like selling all you want at the end of the day. It's how you persuade that person to do it. Are you on the push or you need a crown side or are you on the pull what do you want side? I'm here to help you achieve what you want. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And, and I love in your book, you do the emotional exam as part of that preclinical exam. And I think that's where you and I just had a real strong connection to that. And so maybe just as some advice to those listening, why don't you just give them some pointers on the emotional exam side of things that allows you to not be pressure selling anyone dentistry? So uh, I, I, I like the terminology, and I don't know if I used it in that book or later on, that business is a conversation. Business is a conversation. So when we sit down, and, and by the way, I'm always on the alert when I'm on the other side of that table in a position where, whether I'm with a car or a computer, I want to know how that person is handling me. And so because... I always understand there's this asymmetry of knowledge and I've got to even that out. I've got to make the patient feel that they know enough to make a good decision. So you're not way up here, the dentist and knowledge and they're way down here, the dumb patient. No, yeah. my, 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 is, I want to make that knowledge symmetrical. Yeah. And no question is too stupid. Yeah. Everything is, and so they totally understand it. And then, you know, we, I have no time limit in terms of um, doing that preclinical examination. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody comes by my door or then, I mean, it was inviolate. They, they could not break into that. Mm. Okay. Because you've been on the other side of that table. Mm-hmm. You've been interrupted. Yeah. I mean, you, you, so it's the same thing. And so it's real focus, me and the patient. And we're having a conversation. And, you know, I, well, I can talk about a lot of things. Okay. And like I can break off right now and say, you must be a 49er fan, aren't you? <laughs> In California? <laughs> it's Northern California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can start talking about But the point is, small talk is important too. Yeah. And, um, and so you, you do Connection. that. And you, yeah, but I'm not doing, I'm doing it because I enjoy people. I'm doing it because I enjoy the conversation. And, mm-hmm. um, but then well, you're- again... You're going to get a couple of ingrates in there. No, there's always Be exceptions careful. to the rule. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Now you're infringing upon disc personality profiles, right? I mean, what, 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 with you being in philosophy and philosopher, what do you think about, you know, personality profiling and getting to know the patient to really understand how they how they decipher information? Yeah. So when I early on when I started this and when I wrote that book, um, I talked about disc a lot and. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in the science of personality, um, Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. um, also, and um, I, I stopped leaning on it after a while. Actually, I started looking at, at it more as a mirror for myself rather than to diagnose who they are, because who they are is who they are, mm-hmm. regardless of the personality. Early on, I started to change my person personality according to who they are. So I, I kind of stopped doing that and said, you know what? I, I can't not be who I am. But it's a, it's a fine line there because they're coming to you because of who you are, but yet yeah. you still want to uh, reach them in a way that makes them comfortable. Yeah. It's, using the disc, you know, if I get like um, an amiable, mm-hmm. the S, right? The S, S personality type. Yep. Yeah. If I get the amiable, and if I'm too much of a driver, mm-hmm. okay, hey, that's going to turn them off. So I just tone it down a bit. Yeah, I think Walter Haley spoke spoke mm-hmm. about it a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think when you think about those things, you're you're actually talking about it is know yourself, be able to identify others, and then adapt as appropriate. So he would use Harage, you know, that's that ability just to have good body language with people and rapport. That's what it is. Exactly. And we're trying to systematize it so people can comprehend it and go, well, where, where do I put this person? Otherwise, it's too, they're, they're wishy-washy on it. They don't know where to put people and they can't figure it out. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to be the key to your case presentation. I, I think it's a nice tool. Yeah. It's a part of it. Okay. Yeah. It's, gotcha. it's a tool and it's a good way to know. To, to me, that's always been about know yourself. And, yeah. Yeah. So just to circle back to the preclinical exam, before you look in their mouth, if you had to give the listener, right? The, the best piece of advice before you ever open their mouth, I'm, I'm going to ask them some questions to figure out how to connect with what they're looking for. What would be a, a, a good verbal skill, a good tool that you would ask that patient before you ever look in their mouth? Do you have a favorite go-to? I think in that first book, I actually had a little bit of a script. I, I, yeah. As the years went on, uh, I, I, I didn't I didn't depend on scripting anymore. Because you knew um, what you wanted to do. You were comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got real comfortable. But I think I said, you know, uh, you know, Mrs. Jones, uh, 
I'm going to put you put put the chair back, and um, we're going to look in your mouth right now. And I'm going to try and find. I, I think I remember this. this, this yeah, this, you're you're, you're uh, heading in that permission statement. I hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's the permission statement. Yeah. And uh, oh, that was that was Walter Harley too, wasn't it? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, I, think I mean, I, heard I think that it's from Walter. Yeah, there's a, it came from a lot of places, but yeah, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I said we're going to put you back in a chair, and I'm, uh, and, um, I'm going to look for everything I can find that's that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll need your permission for me to tell you for you to tell me uh, if you want to do some of the work, all of the work, or none of the work. Yeah. And I used that for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, How did it adapt uh, not, over the years? Did you use something different later on? Um, no, I kind of, I kind of kept it the same, but mm-hmm. I, I, so I didn't see that as like, it was, it was a good segue. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it was also the message from my dental assistant to say, okay, it's time to, time, move on. time to do the exam. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, yeah. and so that was good. Um, and in the book, I think, and boy, this is a long time ago. Uh, I said during my case presentation, I already had permission to say whatever I want. Yeah. But I don't think I ever needed that permission because I was building the relationship. Well, and, and actually what I think if you go back to its roots, why it was ever brought up was because dentists were so afraid of that fear of rejection. They needed to actually hear back from the patient, you know, uh, yeah, it's okay to tell me my problems. And then, the, then the, the dentist no longer had that fear of rejection or being shot as the messenger. And, and then, and then what, what gets lost yeah. in translation is that second part to say, you know what, you're in control here. We're never going to pressure you into anything. We're going to just present things to you. And then you have the final say to do whatever it is you want to do. Does that sound fair to you? And you alluded to that when you say some of it, none of it or all of it. Yeah. 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 Those are, yeah. those are great, great skills. And they still, they still can be of value to, to people in the right situations today. So any other tips before you open the patient's mouth that you, you leaned on that you thought, oh, I really, I really enjoyed this part of the exam process? There's so much in this book. Um, I know it's the art of the examination. I know there is exam in here, but I love the preclinical stuff. Yeah, so, well, the preclinical stuff was... Um If you, hear, if you hear something in the pre, I, I think dentists go awry here. I, I used to, I, I, I don't, if you hear something that went against your own belief system, mm. just let it fly. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't stop and have an argument. Argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dentists I agree, I agree, I agree. So persuasion, case acceptance, examinations, they're all a huge part of this. Please don't shortcut it. I will say that uh, you know in our KPI our tracking, we do have trackers that allow you to put the patient's name, uh, follow up things that you want with them. The the did they schedule the dollar amount and things like that. So people that are listening. If you're not understanding how to track these sorts of things, we've had decades of experience in learning how to track these things better. And I would also say this on the selling thing because I wrote this down. People don't buy a solution to a problem they don't perceive to have. Okay, that's that's one thing. I don't buy a vacuum cleaner if I live on a dirt floor, right? Okay, so do they believe they have a problem? And I think that's what you're talking about with the argument. And so the overhear psychology that they hear during the exam as you're calling those things out to your your assistant, right? They're buying into a problem. They're not hearing a bunch of mumbo jumbo. They don't understand. They can't decipher, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then secondly, people buy for their reasons, not your reasons. And I think 
you do that so well when you talk about uh, case presentation is you've got to connect the patient's real reasons in front of whatever reason you would do it for. They become the most important factor. Am, am I right? Is that a good yes. summation? Okay. Well, you know, time is a big thing, even for me. Like I, when I first, when we first started, I said, you know, when I, when I wrote the first book, I, I was focused here in the moment. Yeah. Now I'm in a helicopter. I'm looking down. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're a young dentist, get in that helicopter with every patient and look at the future for that patient. Where are they going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Because guess what? They don't have a clue. Mm. They don't know. And then take your paintbrush out, your words, and explain to them. And they can relate to this. I mean, there's so many examples of people who every day they go out and spend their money and they never get to retire. Or there are plenty of examples of people who smoke and don't take care of their health. And then they get what they've been trying to avoid. Well, the same thing is going to happen to their teeth. And so we have to introduce our patients to their future self. And so I write about that in the art of case presentation. It's so important. Because when you're looking at a mouth and you're seeing things that only you know how this is going to look in three, five, or ten years, then it's your job to persuade them to do something now. Yeah, yeah. So I call that conditions that lead to consequences. Yeah. Right? What are the consequences of what's going to happen? And can you get on that level plane? And help the patient understand what's coming without intimidating, without scaring them, without you know fear mongering them into doing dentistry. That's not but what you this can't is about. lecture them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You cannot lecture them. That's right. You see? Yeah. And that's where visual storytelling comes in. Mm. Um, and so um, you might say, "Do you mind if I show you some pictures of some patients who who uh, look a little bit like you?" That's good. Yeah. And then we, then, then we show pictures. Yeah. The photo library of consequences is amazing. Here's a patient I saw in, in your exact situation. Look at your tooth, look at your teeth, look at theirs, see the similarities. They decided to do something about it. Here's what it looked like. Here's another one who decided not to do something about it. And here's what mm -hmm. it looked like now. This is how they came back to me. Those con I mean, without intimidating, without lecturing, without making them feel bad, you get their permission to show them those things and it's eye opening for them. And they finally are like, oh, I understand what you're so concerned about. Otherwise, they're just basing it on feeling. Well, I don't, it doesn't hurt me, so I'm gonna go ahead and wait. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you know, there's the overboard on the visual stuff because, because you know, today every, everybody's a cosmetic dentist. And so they wanna show you the most beautiful dentistry in the world. That they can't relate and to. They, not only can't they relate, for, relate to it, but they're almost insulted by you showing that to them mm -hmm. for so many reasons. Yeah. And, and you know what happens when you, when you cross that line? You just lost the patient. You broke the trust. Right there. Yep. And they will leave, and you should hear the stories they tell about you and your Hollywood dentistry. <laughs> when they come to <laughs> the other practice, right? Yeah, exactly. I love it. I'm like, well, we could, do, we could do this all day. Dr. Polanski, I really appreciate your time. <laughs> I thank you so much for being willing to uh, help out other dentists out there and, and your mentorship of that. It's, it's truly uh, a value to dentistry. So thank you. Uh, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for bringing me on. Absolutely. So for all of you that are listening, thank you for joining us and taking the time to invest in yourself, 
And I, I hope that this turns into some real results for you. And so until next time, go out there and be an all-star. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.